Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? El Sacco Zane with you once again for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast and a rough week seven for the Niners. But you know what? I'm a Yankees fan and their old manager, Joe Torre, always used to talk about turn the page games. And what turn the page games are is something that's what he would tell his team when the Yankees went out and got smacked around 10 nothing or whatever it was. He would just tell his team, you know what? These games happen. Nothing you can do. You just got to turn the page and move forward to the next game or the next week or whatever it is and i know obviously that's a lot easier to say when you play 162 games as opposed to 16 but there are still nfl teams who have will have a week or two during the season where just everything goes wrong and they get their doors blown off and there's nothing really you can do other than look forward to the next week learn from your mistakes and be better and look the 49ers have played fairly well other than this game they look good at lambo they played well against the chargers they really beat themselves against the Cardinals. They they could have been coming on a, into this game on a three-game winning streak if they haven't been shooting themselves in the foot. So as ugly as this game looked, you have to look at the positives that we saw in, in, in Lambeau. And moving forward, they have three very winnable games coming up. They're playing the one-win Cardinals. They're playing the one-win Raiders. And they're playing the one-win Giants, all of which all of those teams look like they are heading in a downward spiral. I know the Cardinals did already beat the Niners, but again, that was more to me, the Niners beating themselves. But obviously what the Niners are going to have to do to beat these teams is hold on to the football. They cannot keep turning the ball over at the rate that they are. And until they stop doing that, they're not going to win any games, but that's what you need to see from San Francisco is to hold on to the ball. CJ Beathard needs to start making smart decisions and, and stop being careless with the football. And I think they can get some wins. And if you look at the next nine games, all of them are winnable if you assume that the Rams are going to be playing backups when they play in Week 17. Going to Seattle is going to be tough, but if the Niners play the way that they can play and don't turn the ball over, you can look at a season where they maybe get four or five wins. So they have to turn that page and move forward. And we're going to turn the page on this show, too. We're going to do something a little bit different this show. Usually we review the game, and we may do that a little bit, but we're going to be more of a mailbag show today. And I put out something on Twitter where I just asked the fan base kind of, what do you want to hear us talk about? What questions do you have? And so many people answered and so many people gave us some great topics. That's what we're going to do. do. We're going to react to those responses, talk a little bit about what some of uh, the issues you see are some of the questions that you guys had. And I'm looking forward to doing that with Zane and we'll, we'll definitely get to that. But before we do, I am excited to talk to our guest. He is one of our favorites, 49er senior reporter, Joe Finn. Always fun to talk to the senior reporter for the 49ers and 49ers studios. He is the one and only Joe Fan. Joe, what's going on, buddy? Hey, how we doing, Al? Good to talk with you. Doing good. Thanks for being here. I um, really appreciate the time as always. And I want to start out with you today. I, I tweeted out a stat today, something I came across that I thought was interesting. And it was that Bill Walsh actually started out 8-24 and in his first two seasons as 49ers head coach. And his teams actually had 79 turnovers in the first 32 games. And now, I'm not comparing anyone to Walsh here, but the current version of the 49ers is definitely going through a, a similar rough patch. Joe, do you think we're too quick to judge with the week-by-week week sort of Monday morning quarterbacking that we do these days? Yes, certainly, I think. And it, and it makes sense. It's easy. Everyone wants immediate results. And it's just not super realistic when things don't go your way. And you lose Jarek McKinnon and Jimmy Garoppolo. Those are two big things that don't go your way. 
And then I think realistically, this team should still be four and three. So your frustration mm-hmm. is, is that, that you know you couldn't close games against the Chargers, Cardinals, um, and Packers. And that's frustrating. You got to learn how to do that. And until you get there, you know you're going to have struggles. But um, I think to jump off the deep end, jump off the cliff, so to speak, and think you got to blow it all up again, and think that you know this isn't going in the right direction, I think is probably a little bit um, dramatic. But again, it makes sense. It's you know everyone wants to see this team win. Everyone cares so much. Is so passionate about it. Um, you know, you get it from both sides. Yeah, I think that's it. There was just the expectations were so high and the injuries happened and the turnovers and everything we've seen. And it's kind of been a punch in the gut for the fan base a little bit. But like you said, this team can easily be four and three. I mean, if you look at these games, there's turnovers in the Chargers game, turnovers in the Cardinals game. The Packers had some crazy things happen. They they could be four and three pretty easily. But even at one and six, you look at the schedule now. There's three one-win teams coming up in the next nine games. If you consider that the Rams are going to probably be playing their backups, all nine games are kind of pretty winnable. Can you see this team maybe having four or five, maybe even six wins at the end of the season? Yeah, certainly. I mean, all three of these games coming up are very winnable. I'm going to say that they're going to win all three, but they should be in the mix for sure. Um, and again, look at what's happened this year. Take away what happened um, on on Sunday against the Rams, the best team in the NFL, the undefe- you know last undefeated team in the NFL, and the 49ers have been in every game. All three games played with uh, C.J. Beathard should have been wins. Not just mm-hmm. could have if a couple plays go your way. Should have been wins. And so when you look at it from that lens, yes, there's frustration. Again, going back to you can't close games. That's, that's tough for a fan base, tough for a locker room, it's tough for a coaching staff. But the margin is so small between a majority of NFL teams and – you know, I think, again, that's just something to keep in perspective. Perspective is so important to keep in mind when things are going really well and when things are going really poorly. And so, um, again, even when, you know, when Jimmy Garoppolo was in, the, the games against Minnesota, the Forex had their chances to make that even closer, if not win. Um, the Chiefs game, I'll have a, a miserable first half, ended up being a one-possession game. So, Sunday, you look at Sunday, and it was a tough day for everybody. But the other six games haven't been that bad in terms of what the outcome has been. What do you make of all the turnovers? Is, is, are they pressing? Are they sloppy? Why, why do you think they're having so much trouble holding onto the ball? Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, and to me, I think it's just it's a young team and you're, you know, you're learning, you're trying to make plays and um, you, know, you just have to understand that ball security is paramount. And it's not that no one on the team knows that. Everyone gets that you have to um, you know, take care of the football when the bullet starts flying during games. You know, things get hectic and, and turnovers happen. And I think you've got a team with a lot of guys in and out, a lot of injuries all over the field. And um, when you go against good teams, they're going to make you pay for your mistakes. And I think the, the more disappointing thing uh, for me is that the turnovers aren't good. You know, 18 um, on the season, this is way too much. But at the same time, the Florida don't have a takeaway since week uh, four, that opening drive pick six for uh, Anton Exum against Phillip Rivers. That's the last takeaway. So when mm-hmm. you get opportunities, when Jared Goff throws it right to you, you know, Joukowsky Tart's got to come up with that play. Instead, they punt and the next play, Matt Breida fumbles. I mean, just those are the plays that change the entire complexion of the game. You know, so instead of, I don't know, it was you know, 7 nothing or 10 nothing at that point, um, you know, but you have a pick six, and all of a sudden the Warriors are right back in the game. And so those are the plays that the defense hasn't made yet. Even when they've been playing at their best, they're still not getting the football. So, you know, that has to be shored up from both sides. 
And you mentioned CJ Beathard, and it seems like it's been good CJ and bad CJ so far this year in, in his four starts. And the good CJ is the one we've actually seen on the road. He played really well against the Chargers and the Packers, but the bad CJ at home has really really been a turnover machine in, in, in the two home matchups. Is there a reason for the home road splits, or is this just a young QB going through ups and downs? I think it's more of the flow of the game, you know, at least in terms of um, – you know, how things have gone, right? You look at you know, the Arizona game, I think it's hard. You can't just say throw it out, but at the same time, that game feels like such an aberration with, you know, you lose the turnover about a 5 nothing. Outside of that, you dominate every statistic in the game. Um, but then, you, you know, you look at the Rams game, you're trailing the entire time. So, you know, you really can't establish a consistent ground game at that point where you look at Green Bay and Los Angeles, those are games you really control the tempo the entire game. You're running the football well, your defense is getting stops. Um, and you're able to play with a lead a little bit, and it's really complimentary football. And, you know, CJ turns into a game manager from that point, something he's shown he can do very well. Um, you know, we're playing catch-up. It's just hard. It's a lot to ask of, um, you know, a young QB in his second year going against a really good team. Now, on the positive side, George Kittle is currently on pace for 1,205 receiving yards, and that would be the most of any 49ers since Terrell Owens in 2002. Can you talk a little bit about his development this season and how you've seen him progress? Yeah, he's an absolute monster. I think is this the best way to put it? I mean, his ability in the in the run game, pass game, um, you know, I, as a blocker on both sides. I mean, it's just impressive. I mean, he is a menace when he gets his hands on the football. When he gets into space, he'll run you over. He'll run away from you. I mean, he's got a skill set and a mindset that's really special. I'm actually writing just a little teaser, a little feature on on George Kittle right now. Um, you know, had the opportunity to talk to Jason Witten before that Monday night game. Had an opportunity to talk to George talk to coach Shanahan about you know where they think this guy is right now and where they think he's headed and I mean I think he's already I, I tweeted out some stats yesterday and this guy is already in the conversation with some of the best you know tight ends in the NFL and and so if he's at this point right now if he's able to stay healthy which is a big knock on wood and you hope that's the case uh, again the sky's the limit you don't get 1200 yards by accident that's something Jason Witten never did and so mm-hmm. George Kale's on that path I and mean, that puts him in special company and obviously, you know him personally, and, and you know people that are around him. Does he have the type of personality that can emerge as, as a leader in the locker room and in another face of the franchise? I think face of the franchise, sure. I think he's definitely a lead-by-example guy. I mean, sure, his personality, he's light, he's fun. Everyone enjoys being around him. Um, he's a hard worker. He gets down to business. Um, there's nothing you know, there's nothing to not like about George Kittle. I mean, comprehensively, he's just a great dude, both as a football player and as a human being. He's a guy you gravitate around and want to be around. You know, I don't know if he's ever, if he's ever going to be the rah-rah. Let me give you the speech pregame. I mean, eventually, maybe. But there's so many guys on this roster that have that capability already. I think, I think George is more than happy to just go out, handle his business, um, you know, kind of physically impose his will on somebody um, and make some big plays along the way. Matt Breed is another player who seems like he's taken a really big jump this year, but injuries have slowed him lately. And it seems like every time he's out there, he's got something that's nagging and he keeps getting hurt because he's not fully healed yet. Do you think it's best to just shut him down at this point and let him heal and, and not let him back on the field until he's hundred percent? I think you got to see what his status looks like, you know, this week, but I think that something that four Irons will definitely mull over when they're kind of game planning for this week is, is it time just to give him, a week and make sure he gets right. I mean, he's a guy who's so important to the 49ers offense, uh, magnified by the loss of Jarek McKinnon. I mean, Matt Burrito is going to have a big role regardless. I mean, now his role is exponentially bigger just because, uh, you know, you're missing Jet. And so, you know, I think it wouldn't be the worst idea, but, you know, I'm not in the medical room. I'm not in the rehab room. 
um, you know, the training table and seeing how he's feeling. Um, but I think it's certainly an option that's being mulled over. Something that's been worrisome is is the regression of the second year players on D: Foster, Thomas, Witherspoon, Colbert. Rollins is being young cornerstones on on defense, but have kind of stayed, taken a step back, and some of them have been a little bit banged up. And obviously, Colbert's on IR now. Should we be worried here, or can this group still bounce back and have a strong second half? Yeah, I think you know Kyle Shanahan said it really well yesterday. I think it was Jennifer Lee Chan who asked the great question of you know is it cliche or is it a real thing talking about the sophomore slump and. And Kyle said, he, you know, it's not everybody, but he certainly has seen it plenty of times throughout his career. And it's guys who, you know, their first year, they're basically just trying to, you know, fly by the seat of their pants a little bit and trying to, you know, stay above water. And you, you know, almost, you know, that kind of can help you in some ways where you're just going out and playing and then, you know, start to get some confidence, start to, you know, build on your game. And all of a sudden you're overthinking things. You can forget about what got you there. And so, you know, I think there's an element to that with, you know, all these guys, I think, you know, uh, confidence for young players is always going to be up and down a little bit. And when your your team's losing and you've had some some good plays and some bad plays, I mean, it's just the nature of the beast. Is you know your confidence is going to take a hit now and again. And so it's just all on you know you on the coaching staff on your teammates to make sure these guys are feeling good, they're prepared, and um, you know ride the ups and downs without losing the faith that ultimately things are headed in the right direction. Now the trade deadline's coming up, and Jay Glazer, Jay Glazer mentioned that he expects it to be very active, and it already has been so far. Do you see the Niners making any moves, whether it's adding someone or maybe trading a vet away who may not be here next year? Yeah, I don't think the 49ers are going to be super active. You know, I, I think quiet would probably be how I would describe it. I mean, you never know what's going to come up, right? I mean, look at last year; no one expected Jimmy Garoppolo to be, um, you know, acquired right at the end there. Um, but you know, so you don't know what phone call is going to take place. But I would anticipate it's going to be fairly slow. You know, whether it's acquiring a player, or trading a player away, I don't think there's going to be any, you know big splash moves that really um, you know make waves like you saw last year. I think in general, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch both have been really consistent in that we're always looking to get better, but we're not going to make a move in the short term that jeopardizes what's going to happen long term and what the process is. So you know, I think in general, um, you know, that's what I would expect in the next week. Do you think they can they can make a move where maybe they try to trade a Pierre Garcon, for example, and and I use him as an example because that might free up playing time for Dante Pettis when healthy or Richie James or some of these young guys just to get on the field. Do you th- think that might be more of an option trading someone away than actually getting someone? Uh, again, I don't. I wouldn't rule anything out. Um, you know, but I would say in general, I, I would err towards acquiring draft capital as opposed to trading in a way to get a player. Mm-hmm. And finally, you're around the team a lot, and, and this season's been frustrating and unlucky, and the Niners haven't gotten a lot of things to go their way. But how do you feel kind of Kyle Shanahan has handled everything in terms of dealing with the adversity and keeping this team together? Yeah, I think you saw it last year, and I think it's continued. I mean, he's never got to get too high or too low, and as he's in the coach. And I really do believe things are never as good as you, you know it feels like, and things are never as bad as it feels like. And like I said, I mean, as, as hard as this season has been, you're a couple plays away from being four and three through seven games, which says a lot given, you know, the outlook and the injuries going into the season. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Kyle's done a great job. You know, I'm not in a team meeting, so, you know, I, I can't really get a sense of what he's like in that atmosphere, but I don't really feel like any of the players are, are turning on anybody. I think everyone's still bought in, um, you know, but it, it's challenging. It's a huge challenge. And I think Kyle Shanahan navigates those waters really well. Joe, you're the best buddy. We appreciate the time. Alice, thanks so much, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks again to Joe Fan for coming on. Always a good talk with him. 
And Zane, like I mentioned, we have so many uh, good topics that the fans gave us this week to talk about. I can't wait to get into these with you. And the first one that I want to start off with, because I feel like this was the one that most people brought up, was C.J. Beathard and, and if he is in, in any danger of losing his job. CJ's, uh, well, the thing with CJ is basically he is not made to start 16 games in this league, at least not yet. He can do a lot of things that Kyle Shanahan really likes and, and he knows the system, obviously, and he has spurts where he plays really well. He played really well during that Green Bay game and sandwiched between two not so great games with uh, Arizona this past week against the Rams. I think that what people have to remember is that in, in, with your backup quarterback, this guy needs to just come in and win a couple of games for you a season. This is not a guy who you can rely on to, to play your entire season. Or if your quarterback gets injured in the, the Niners case with Jimmy Garoppolo in the third game of the year, and, and you're playing an entire 13 game schedule with your backup, like backup quarterbacks in this league, they get very little reps uh, in practice. They get very little time with the number ones. They're not meant to play the role that CJ Beathard is being asked to play. And, and I want to make sure that's, that's clear because it's not entirely fair to CJ to expect him to come in and absolutely light the world on fire when he's the backup quarterback and playing with the twos. Now that being said, he has 18 turnovers in 12 games in his career. He has 10 turnovers and four starts this year. And he, like we see the same problems week in week out with him, poor, poor pocket presence, not knowing when to get rid of it, not finding open receivers, being careless with the football. It, these are things, again, that you expect out of your backup quarterback. I don't think that C.J. Beathard is in danger of losing his job because who who is behind him is Nick Mullins. And while Nick Mullins looked really good in the preseason, it was against guys that aren't on NFL rosters or guys that aren't necessarily even starting for their teams. It was It was the fourth game of the preseason. So I don't really think you can throw a guy out there who's basically been on the practice squad the last two years and throw him into the starting lineup of an NFL team and expect that he's going to do any better than the CJ is. I, I really just don't see the point. Like the point is not honestly, the point is not to win games this year. It's really to build for the next year. Like any games that they win this year are moral victories. And frankly speaking is a moral victory worth more or development of your current roster and knowing who can play, who can't and getting a better draft pick worth more. So I don't think CJ is going to lose his job. I think that, Kyle Shannon came out this week and said it. He said, he said that CJ ordinaries have them in their building. That's healthy, obviously, because Jimmy would be there if he wasn't. But I think that they're rolling with CJ because they know that, that throwing Nick Mullins in there is doing an injustice to, to Nick Mullins himself too. You're not giving him a chance to succeed. And frankly, the 49ers are not in this season to develop Nick Mullins. They're not. That's what it comes down to. I know that fans want to win games. I know that the team want to win, wants to win games and, and it feels great to win a game. But at the same time, you have to know what you have in your roster. And if there's constant turnover at the quarterback position, you can't evaluate the rest of your roster. So I think CJ stays. I look at this in a couple different ways. I agree right now, Beathard is the best chance to win. He just is. And the reason I say that I understand that there's the turnovers, but CJ can also make plays. Take this Rams game out. The Rams game was atrocious. Everything was atrocious. You, you got to throw it out and, and sort of look at the whole sample size. And like I said with Joe, there's been good CJ and there's been bad CJ. And the good CJ has been on the road and the good, bad CJ has been at home. So you look at the Chargers game. Let's break it slick game by game with him. Forget, forget last year. He was a third round rookie last year. For, forget what he did last year. Let's, let's talk about what he's doing this year. Let's talk about how he's progressing. He was in that Chargers game and he played pretty well. 
Mm-hmm. He still had three turnovers, but if you look at them, the one interception went off Garrett Selleck's shoulder pad, and the interception really wasn't his fault. That's that's when he got hit, I believe, on the arm. Or no, it was a fumble. I'm sorry, it was a fumble when he got hit on the arm, and the ball popped loose. So he played really well in that game, and the Niners put up points. He threw for 298 yards, and he moved the ball, and he really it wasn't his fault they lost that game. He played well enough to win. Now you look at the next game at Arizona where they go home again, move the ball up and down the field, but these turnovers were more his fault. Now he's throwing a couple more picks and he, and he fumbles in this game. He actually fumbled twice in that game. Uh, I'd have to check how many he lost, but I know that he fumbled twice in that game and the Niners just left so many points on the board and just gave that game away. And then you're thinking, okay, well, who is CJ Beathard? Because the first game he looks good. Now this game, he looks like he did last year. And then he comes in Lambeau field and he played terrific on Monday night. Beathard played terrific. Look at those throws he made to Goodwin for the touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Great throws. And the interception at the end, he made the wrong read. And he underthrew Goodwin. I know it was at a big moment. It was one play. And he also um, missed Kittle, it was, on a third down that would have kept a drive going that could have won the game. So he made a couple of mistakes. But overall, he goes into Lambeau. He puts up 30 points. That ha- That's not his fault. He has 115 rating in that game. He averages over 10 yards an attempt in that game. but then he comes in this next week at home and he played awful. And I know he was under pressure, but like you mentioned about the pocket presence, he didn't have it at all in that game. He's taking sacks, he's throwing interceptions, he's he's fumbling the ball, he's fumbling snaps, he's falling down on the ground, and even when he's down, he's the ball's still popping out. So it was just it was an absolute train wreck with him in this game. But there's still a leash there. If you look at how he played in those road games, again, played well, yards per attempt against the Chargers, eight. Yards per attempt against the Packers, 10.6. But then in the two home games, yards per attempt are 6.46 and under for both of those games. So it was it was really bad. So we're going to see what the Niners have in C.J. Beathard the next three games because the next three games are winnable. You're playing a Cardinals team that you should have destroyed, and you better beat them this week. Then you're playing a, a, a Raiders team that's given up on the season. You're playing a Giants team that's given up on the season. Beathard has to come out and play well and win these three games, or at least play well enough to win these three games. And then we'll see where we're headed with him after the bye. If he's still turning the ball over three, four times a game, then I could see maybe the Niners saying, "Okay, we're going to give Nick Mullins a shot." But I think it's CJ's job right through the bye. And listen, he he is a backup. It's it's what he is. I, I'm not sure he's ever going to really be more than that. And he plays well enough to win when he doesn't turn the ball over. But he has to stop turning the ball over. That's the main thing with Beathard. But as for right now, I don't see a change. I know that's frustrating to some fans, but again, two good performances, two bad performances. Let's see where he goes from here. Yeah, and as you said, there are wins on the schedule. Like, I don't, but my or comment earlier about how they should play for the draft and things like that. Yeah, that's that's what I think will happen anyways. Regardless, like they'll get a, a pretty decent draft pick. But there are wins coming on the schedule. Like you look at the next three weeks, like you said, Arizona Raiders and Giants. Like these are all they could possibly go three and zero in those games, but. The reality of the situation is the 49ers could lose all those games too with the way that they played and the inconsistency that they've had, specifically at the quarterback position. It's not all CJ's fault. And Kyle came out this week and said that it's not all CJ's fault. And it's true. You pointed out the play with Salik and and the there was a, a coaching issue, I think, in, in the Green Bay game at the end where they should have called timeout and they didn't really have a great sequence at the end. And it's not all he shouldn't shoulder all the blame. Unfortunately, when you're the quarterback, you shoulder the blame for wins and losses, fairly or unfairly. But I think I'm with you, Al. I think that there's there's probably at least two wins coming out of these three games. I think, and and we'll get to our picks later on. But that's just that's just my opinion on it. 
Yeah, what if they're four and six going into the bye? They might be. Mm-hmm. They might be on a three-game winning streak. And if you look at if just a couple things went differently, if the ball doesn't go off Selk's shoulder pad, maybe if Shanahan runs on second and three at the end of that Packers game, you, you, you're in a situation where they could have been six and four. <gasps> could you imagine? Yeah. With, mm-hmm. with with how it's gone, it, it's really could have been just two plays. And now we're talking about if those two plays happen that way and the Niners are, you know, are sitting at three and four right now, you're saying, well, can they win these next three games? Mm-hmm. Can, can they get to six and four? They might. Can they get to five and five? They might. But just a couple things happen and, and it throws everything off. The narrative would be completely different, completely different. But yeah, I think so. Uh, and and with regard to what they did last week against the Rams, I, honestly, Al, was there anybody that expected them to actually go out and beat the Rams, the best roster? No, but it in the wasn't. League? But it wasn't that go out and put up a game. Go out and put up a fight. Even if you lose thirty-eight to twenty-eight, and you you put up a game, that that's all we wanted. That's all the fan base wanted to see. The Niners got annihilated in every aspect of the game. Not only did they get annihilated, I know we're talking about the game now. We said we were, <laughs> but not only did they get annihilated. They they looked like a high school team. They didn't line up right. They didn't block. They couldn't catch the receivers. It, that that was the issue with the Rams game to me is is the way that they lost. I I get it. I I totally understand. But I'm going to play devil's advocate here. And I've been pretty down on the team for a few weeks now. But I'm going to actually stick up for them and say that there's nothing that happened on Sunday against the Rams that we didn't already know about the team. We know that they're disorganized. We know that the talent level is not there. We know that CJ turns the ball over. We know that the defense is shoddy at times. We know that they're an inferior team. We know that this is a 10 cent roster. And I'm not saying that, that John Lynch could have done anything better or should have done anything better in the offseason. He did the best with what he had. Right. And they're flipping a roster from Trent Balky That was bo- literally bottom of the league. And the difference between the Trent Balky years and now is that this is still a team that's that's near the bottom of the league in the win-loss column. But the fact of the matter is that they're in every game, for the most part, except for this this last game. They're in every game. And like you said, a, th- a few things go here and there, and they can be the, the record can be totally different. Whereas with Trambalki, they were literally just every week just rolling out backups and scrubs, and they were getting the doors blown off them every week. So I think that there's hope. I think that there is cause for a little bit of optimism going forward because again, like I didn't hinge my hopes on beating the Rams at home uh, with your backup quarterback and missing several key starters and just the Rams being the juggernaut and the best team in football. So I think that with, with this season, we have to take a little perspective that the losses are painful. Yes. But in the, in the larger scheme of things, the direction that they're going in, they weren't going to be done and rebuilt anyways. Yes. Jimmy getting hurt really stings. And yes, we expected them to have more wins, but this was not a Super Bowl contending team. The only thing I can say is that maybe they weren't as far along as they thought. And maybe that's a good thing because maybe that'll make John Lynch be a little bit more aggressive this offseason with that cap room and be a little bit more aggressive in the draft and, and start picking players who are difference makers instead of guys that are are good players, but maybe not fitting the scheme properly like Solomon Thomas. And I'll get to him in a, in a, in a little bit. And that you're, you're, Comment about the roster brings us to the to the next thing I wanted to talk about and what a lot this a lot of fans had issues not only with the defense and we know about Robert Sala, but they had issues, concerns, questions. Why are the players on defense regressing? Mm-hmm. Why is Ruben Froster regressing? Why is Witherspoon regressing? Why was Colbert? Of course, Colbert's on IR now, but wh- why was he the lowest ranked safety pro football focus in the league? Why is Salman Thomas not taking a step forward? Fans wanted to know that. Where is this team headed in terms of those guys? And I'll be honest, 
I don't know how to answer that right now because I'm not sure if, if I even know what's wrong. Ruben Foster looked like an all-world linebacker at the end of last year. He looks lost a lot of the time now. I believe he had two tackles and three missed tackles this past week. He mm-hmm. doesn't look anywhere near like the impact player he was. Colbert looked lost when he was in there. Witherspoon's been in and out of the lineup. He was banged up, but he's had so many mental errors. Thomas, playing out of position, has been invisible, although he did have a pretty strong game one put inside this past week. So what? What's the common denominator? To me, it's 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 got to be the defense. It's got to be these guys didn't forget how to play overnight. Mm-hmm. They didn't forget how to play defense. They didn't forget how to play their positions. The issue to me is that I, I wonder if they trust the scheme. I wonder if they trust what they're seeing. I wonder if they're being put in the positions to succeed. I, I just that defense, there's there's something off, and I know that they play well in spurts, and I know that the offense has put them in a, in a rough position with their turnovers, but there's something does not look right. There's too much talent in, on that defense. Ed Rusher aside, there's too much talent on the defense for them to play as bad as they are. They're last in the league. Last in the league, they've given up 218 points. They're on pace to give up 498 points. That's more than Jim O'Neill's defense gave up in 2016. Jim O'Neill's defense gave up 480 points that year, and that was historically bad defense. They only have three turnovers. You ha- In this league, you have to be able to sack the quarterback and take the ball away, and the Niners can't do either one right now. To me, again, the common denominator, what is it? Defensive coordinator. Got to put these guys in a better position to, to succeed. And you could say all you want to. The calls are there. Guys aren't executing. How are guys not executing seven weeks into the season? Mm-hmm. How are you blowing assignments and, and not lining up right seven weeks into the How? How? Mm-hmm. To, me, to me, it's coaching. Brian Baldinger put out a Twitter video. I don't know if you saw that, but it's making the rounds on Twitter. Yeah, that's kind of what I was referring to. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah yep. The goal line video where they're literally over the center there's uh, there's nobody lined up over the center there's nobody lined up in the a gap like literally they're like there's every other gap there's a 49ers defender and, the and goal line. Foss, it was just i just can't believe that i get there are holes everywhere i don't understand what they're trying to disguise or they just don't know where to line up or it's just the the, the weirdest thing and i feel like well let's be honest the 49ers wanted a more seasoned defensive coordinator robert sala was supposed to be like the linebackers coach i believe when ken norton um, did not take that job and went to Seattle. I feel like, first of all, I didn't feel like Ken Norton would have been a better, better, a better choice than Robert Sala, but that's neither here nor there. But with Robert Sala, they got a guy who's not experienced, who's never had this position before, who really, frankly, should not be a defensive coordinator. I think that they were kind of forced into that decision, and he's really coaching for his job. Too many times, when you look at any any crossing route over the middle, Al, they don't pass. They play what you, what it is. It's, it's basically like a, like a three deep zone, if you will. Right. And anything underneath, you have to pass that guy off because you have an extra guy in the box. When, when Tart is playing in the box, basically like if somebody comes into his, into his zone, they pass him off to Tart, for example. Right. Or somebody comes into Quan Williams zone when he's playing slot, they pass him off. But that's literally the way the teams are beating these guys. They're running infinite crossing routes and they're getting confused. The 49ers are getting confused because they don't pass guys off. Richard Sherman mentioned this a few weeks ago against Detroit where in the post game where he was saying that the Niners aren't, they're not passing anybody off over the, that, that go over the middle. And that problem actually started at the beginning of the season. And it kind of got exacerbated in that Detroit game when they started coming back and more teams saw that on film and they're attacking that. And these are fundamental things. When a guy goes through your zone, you pick him up. When he leaves your zone, you pass him off. 
These are things that you learn on the first day of training camp. And the fact that they're still doing that now, the fact that they're still so undisciplined, it's, it's not that they're honestly, it's not that they're not executing the scheme. I said this a couple of weeks ago, they are executing a scheme. It's just that the scheme sucks. The scheme is terrible. That's what's happening. The, Robert Sala, the fact that they haven't been able to play Solomon Thomas in the proper position for over an entire season, a season and a half is appalling to me. It's just criminal. That guy is an interior defender. They continuously play him on the outside. It's really simple. You're playing for next year. You put Solomon Thomas inside. You phase out Earl Mitchell and Eric Armstead. You put Ronald Blair on the outside. Who Ronald Blair has been arguably the second best defensive lineman all year, aside from Sheldon Day and Buckner, who's obviously been the best. You you make that switch, put Solomon, Tom, Solomon Thomas inside beside Buckner, and watch the fun. Watch him grow. They're literally ruining this kid's career. I know we've been hard on Solomon Thomas, and I know that the poor guy's going through a lot of stuff off the field that's probably affecting him on the field. Like I, 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 My heart goes out to him, and I want him to succeed. He's a really good dude, and I want him to do well, but they're not giving him the best, the best shot to succeed, and that's on coaching. You can't decide where you play as a player. You can't decide where, where to run to when, when the ball is in the air. That's based off of scheme. And Al, to me, the, the, the epitome of this was when Adrian Colbert, who was looking really good last year and who, who I think can be, still be salvaged and be, be a good NFL safety, makes the proper read on the play, goes, shows that range that we've been missing all year, finally makes the right read on the play, gets there, is in position for the pick, and Akela Witherspoon knocks out of his hand and Colbert gets injured and is out for the season. Like that to me was like, I'm like, that's, that's just perfect. Yeah, it's, it's just microcosm it's so, of the season, yeah. Yeah, it's a microcosm of the season, exactly. So I think that Robert Sala, if, barring a huge turnaround, I think he's gone. And I think that they are going to have to bring in somebody like a Mike Smith or somebody like, a, I mean, Gus Bradley's not available, but somebody who can run that Seattle scheme and, and maybe go after Earl Thomas because then you have Sherman and Thomas who know the scheme and you have elite, in my opinion, you'll have two elite linebackers in about three years time, Foster and Warner can be elite, but you really need a proper scheme to run. Yeah. And you mentioned Thomas, he played 15 snaps on the inside this past game and he had one of his best uh, PFF ratings of the year, 77.3. Mm-hmm. I believe he had three stops in this game. And so he played really well, mm-hmm. played really well when given his correct position and he told us on the show last year and we asked him he, about his rookie season and he talked to us about that it was challenging for him to learn a new position mm-hmm. it's 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 been you know square peg round hole with him and, and they refused to put him in a position to succeed and hopefully the 15 snaps on the inside were a sign of things to come and we're going to see him there a lot more the other person on the defense people asked me about was cassius marsh and i think people are starting to get a little annoyed that this team relied so much on Marsh to be one of the primary pass rushers because now we're seeing what I think everybody knew <laughs> is that this mm-hmm. guy's not a, not a, not a, not the answer on the edge. Feel like everyone knew that in the Niners seem pretty hell bent on, on having him as in one of those positions. And you know, what did they say? You can't just come in and take Cassius Marsh's job. So my answer to that is I don't know what they were thinking. They're getting the exact results. Most of us figured that they would. Mm-hmm. I don't believe Marsh is going to be part of this team in 2019. Unless he he has a terrific end of next nine games, I believe he's he's played his probably played his way out of the picture for next year. But the Niners wanted to roll with him, and 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 this is what they're getting. He has two sacks this year, and he's run into both of them. It was yeah. both. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, they did. were both broken plays. Rosen came out on a on a broken play. I believe it was a naked bootleg, and Cassius Marsh ran into him. And same thing happened with Jared Goff. And 
I don't know if I don't know if you're noticing Al, but a lot of teams are running naked bootlegs against the 49ers. And isn't that isn't that alarming to you? Because doesn't that show just a lack of respect for their yeah. rushers to get to the quarterback? Uh, yeah, there's, just, there's no threat out there. There's no threat out there. Yeah, and you see this repeatedly every week. You see, you see, Aaron Rodgers was was he ran several of them against against the Niners on Mon- on last Monday night, and I think that that to me is telling because now other teams know that the Niners aren't getting there, and the the issue with Cassius Marsh is again he's not a he's not a full time starter. He's not a full time player. He's a he's a platoon guy, and he's a guy that before the 49ers, he never really had a chance to start. He was always sharing time with with other players and. And you're seeing why. And, and I think that the Niners, for whatever reason, did not address it in the draft. I think that maybe they were looking ahead to this year's draft. And I think that's kind of foolish because what if your guy gets hurt this year? But I think that they just don't have enough competition there. And because of that, you're having to play guys like Marsh that are underachieving. And granted, he did play better last year. I felt like he was better last year, like in a limited role. But then again, you had Elvis Dumerville, who was taking the, the lion's share of the snaps. So pass rush obviously continues to be an issue. Um, you, you touched on Solomon Thomas as did I, and I think that Solomon Thomas, once they realize that he's more effective inside, you'll see him moved inside. And I think that he'll have probably a pretty productive career. Earl, Earl Mitchell's on the, on the wrong side of 30 now. And I think that obviously the 49ers want to go th- towards a, a more youth sort a, a youthful sort of defensive line. I think that Solomon Thomas will probably kick inside net for next year. And you'll, you'll see them, draft obviously a pass rusher and maybe maybe double dip and draft a couple pass rushers and see which one of the pan out. Now when it when it comes down to existing players that can get pass rush, really you have to get creative. They're blitzing Ruben Foster a little bit more and he doesn't have a sack this year, but he's getting through. So you're seeing hopefully you're seeing them be able to diversify the, the scheme a little bit, but I think that a little bit of it is just desperation because Robert Sala probably knows he's coaching for his job, despite what John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan say, like, obviously they're not going to be like, Oh, well he's not doing his job. He's going to be gone at the end of the year. We don't support him. Obviously they're, they're going to come out and support him. Right. That's not that. That's what a good unit does. And that's what you do for your colleagues. But really what it comes down to Al is that I think that this scheme can be successful if you have the right players run running it and within it. And if you have the right coach running it in terms of play calls, too many times we've seen them in the wrong coverage or Solomon Thomas is dropping back to play coverage or Ruben Foster is trying to cover Devontae Adams one-on-one. So I think that, again, once you get a coach who kind of knows the the scheme better and knows the personnel better, but mind you, Robert Sala, yes, he, he coached in that Seattle scheme, but that doesn't mean he knows that scheme. He knows that scheme as a linebacker's coach because that's a position that he coached, but he may not know what Gus Bradley and Dan Quinn were trying to do when they were in Seattle. So I think that that's important to note is that just because you were a passenger on the plane doesn't mean that you know how to fly the plane. Yeah, it's a good point. It's definitely a good point. And as we talk about some of the holes here and some of the positions that need to be filled, a number of people also want to know, is John Lynch going to be on the hot seat? And some people have said stuff about Kyle Shanahan too. Kyle Shanahan is going nowhere. I feel like it's ridiculous to even blame Shanahan for any of this. I mean, Shanahan's done a, a really good job with the offense. I, I, I'm not even going to address anything with Cal Shanahan not being there. I think that's that's utterly ridiculous. I also think blaming Lynch at this point is kind of ridiculous, but I sort of kind of get kind of get where people are coming from with that because of some of the misses on the roster. But look, Kyle has a lot of say on this roster too. He may even have the last say on the roster. Mm-hmm. You know, Kyle, this is Kyle's team, but in terms of Lynch. I don't think there's 
any way. I think there's zero percent chance of him being fired or not coming back next year, unless for some reason he decided to resign. But that's not going to happen. I think there, there's zero chance. And the reason for that is even even if you look at this this one in in six start, if Garoppolo doesn't get hurt, okay. I mean, they're three and four at worst, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's reasonable to say, isn't it? That they would be three and four. So. so- so even if they're three and four, and they could be better than three and four, but let's say they're three and four, they're going into these next three games thinking, all right, we could beat these three teams with Jimmy. We're going to be six and four, mm-hmm. and then we're going into the bye. Let's 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 see if we could win four of the next six and maybe get to ten and six sneak in the playoffs. That's where as bad as it's been, as bad as things have looked. If your starting quarterback doesn't get hurt, that's probably what, what you're talking about right now. If you get a few breaks, you might even be four and three at this point. Mm-hmm. And then you're talking about are we going? Are we going to be seven and three going into the bye? Can, can, are, are we making the playoffs? That's that's how close they were. Even with the issues on defense, even with the issue, well, I don't think the turnovers would be as bad if, if Jimmy was still there. They didn't turn the ball over in weeks two and three. Mm-hmm. So even with all of the things that we've seen, if Garoppolo is there, they're right where we thought they would be. C.J. Beathard could have won these games as well. So the Niners are really, really close. And they've talked about staying the course, and they've talked about just going with the plan. And that's the right thing to do. As frustrating as this is, they they do have a plan. And I do think we'll see them be more aggressive in this offseason. And, and Lynch, is, Lynch is definitely coming back. I know people are frustrated with him, but give him another offseason to, to, as, as we see this plan kind of come to fruition. Yeah, and I think that what people are kind of frustrated about is that there were opportunities to add playmakers. Like Josh Gordon had 100 yards this past week. He had four catches, 100 yards. The 49ers receivers as a unit had four catches for less than 50 yards uh, against against the uh, against the Rams. And I think that the 49er fans who are frustrated and they're starting, it's funny, Al, every week we see more and more come out in numbers. And I and I get it. I, I share in some of that frustration as well. And I've, and I've voiced that on the show over the past few weeks about the fact that they had all this cap money in the offseason and they had all this interest that they were drumming up and they had nine draft picks and they were drafting and signing people like a team that was already in the playoffs. And I think that what happened, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing them, I'm, I'm trying to rationalize here. I think what happened, Al, is that they won those five games at the end of last year and they started feeling themselves a little bit too much as a team, as a coaching staff, as a front office. They were like, hey, this is easy. We'll just try Jimmy out there and we'll be competitive. And you know, he can be a, a brand, a bridge to the future. And once we get those guys in that we want to get in, we'll, we'll go after it. But I think that that kind of worked against them a little bit because it, it made them think they were better than they actually were. When in mm-hmm. reality, they were still a, a very much green and rebuilding team with a really good quarterback. And I think that they went into the off season with that mentality. Now it's almost as if this Jimmy Garoppolo injury is, is kind of like a blessing in disguise because it'll force them to address other portions of the roster because now you're seeing out what the roster actually is. Now you're seeing what the 49ers depth is without the mask of Jimmy Garoppolo kind of masking all of that, that whole deficient, all of the, all the deficiencies that the 49ers have in the roster. Like you're seeing what they, what they actually are for who they are right now. And I think that, the 49er fans that are frustrated are frustrated because they had a chance to add to this team and make the team better. And they didn't. Now I, I get the fact that they're rebuilding and I get the fact that, that this is a process, but what if John Lynch is not feeling any pressure to build a team because he has a six year contract or what if Kyle Shan has not feeling 
the the need to really be too aggressive in going after people because he has a six con- six year contract from Jed York. What if Jed's not even pushing them because he's like, hey, you have six years. Maybe in a couple of years I'll check back with you and you haven't done anything. Then I'll push you. So maybe, and that's entirely to me entirely reasonable because they do have that long of time to to, to build a team. But that being said, eventually you have to you have to start building and you have to start improving, and the improvement has to be incremental. It can't just be like, oh, we went from two and fourteen to eleven and five in uh, you know the conference championship game. That it doesn't happen like that in the NFL. Very few teams follow that that course. So what I think concerns some fans is that they're not adding enough difference makers progressively because it doesn't, a team is not made in one off season. Look at the, what the Raiders did. They went out, they signed Sean Smith, Bruce Irvin, Marshawn Lynch, Gabe Jackson, Reggie Nelson. They, they went out and signed all of these guys to come and play for them after that 12 and four season that they had Derek Carr was looking really good and it blew up in their face. And now they're having a fire sale because they spent, they did not spend wisely. They spent a ton of money, but you also have to spend it wisely. So I think that's, that's the key is that when you spend money, you have to spend it wisely. And when you build a team, you can't build it in one year. You have to build it progressively. And every offseason, you have to add two or three difference makers. And I know I'm kind of going off here, but the, the, the thought I want to finish with is that that Jim Harbaugh team, the first one, Al, was 2011. And I believe, yeah, it was Alex Smith was drafted in 2005. Alex Smith and Frank Gore were drafted in 2005. Progressively, every year they added players. 2006, they added Vernon Davis and Joe Staley. 07 was Willis. 08 was Balmer, but we won't talk about that. 09 was Crabtree. 2010 was was Yupati and and um, Anthony Davis, and all those guys became contributors to the team. Finally, from 2005, after six years, they were ready to have a coach to take them to the next level, and that was Harbaugh. Six years out to build those teams, so. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna. It's not gonna happen overnight, and I think that's what 49ers fans are concerned about. Like, hey, you got to get into gear because it doesn't work like that in this league. 49ers fans are really savvy. Al. Like, we, I feel like we have one of the better fan bases in the league. And for all the knee jerk reactions we get, I still feel like the Niners fans are more knowledgeable than any other fan base that I've seen out there. And I think they're rightly concerned. Maybe what we've seen this year will force the hand a little bit in the off season because the fan base is a little restless right now, mm-hmm. and they hear it. They know it. They know where the fan base is coming from. So maybe that will push their hand this offseason to be a little aggressive. Because like you said, there were the Josh Gordons out there who many thought the Niners should at least take a flyer on. People want want John Lynch to go out and make a splash. And I don't know if that's realistic right now. I, I, I get the need, like this whole Patrick Peterson thing, and that'll lead us into our, ne- our next topic is people want to know what the Niners are going to do with the trade deadline. And I don't think they're going to be overly aggressive even if Patrick Peterson does get traded, the Cardinals aren't trading him within the division. Mm-hmm. I mean, just get that out of your head. They're not, they're not going to trade him to the 49ers. It's just not happening. You look at some of the other bigger names out there. If Demarius Thomas gets traded, well, are you going to bring in another receiver on the wrong side of 30? Mm-hmm. That didn't work out so well with Garso, and you might get a good season out of him. But overall, that's that's not going to work out very well if, if you're looking for Thomas to be a long-term answer and, and resign him and everything like that. What I think you may see at the trade deadline from the Niners is maybe they can shed somebody for a pick. Mm-hmm. What makes sense to me is if they can move Pierre Garçon, who's just been a shell of himself, who's really not making any impact whatsoever, if they can maybe move him to a team for a late-round pick, a fifth, something along those lines. And then when Dante Pettis is healthy, he's getting most of the reps at wide receiver. You're playing the young kids, seeing what they can do 
alongside Marquise Goodwin. That's that's the most I see the Niners doing at the trade deadline. Maybe if something presents itself that would be a long-term fix for them that's that they're not going to overpay for, I can see them maybe doing something like that. But I, I don't expect the splash. I know the fans kind of got teased. Khalil Mack's name was out there. And then we hear about Josh Gordon. And you're waiting for maybe Le'Veon Bell to get traded and things like that. And I, I don't believe any of that's going to happen. It may just be a small move where the Niners actually dump somebody. The problem, Al, is that guys like Pierre Garcon and Armstead and Jimmy Ward and some of these contracts that they want to shed, they're on trade value. Nobody wants right, those guys. Right, going to want them, yeah. If it would be one thing if they were performing really well or if it was like a situation like Josh Gordon where somebody had immense talent but they can never put it together it would be something different if it was a situation like that, but these guys don't have any trade value. That's, that's the issue. Like I, I appreciate the thought and you're not the, you're not the first person to say that. Like we see that every, every week we see fans tweeting at us that they should trade these guys, a combination of these guys and Josh Garnett's been mentioned as well. But the problem is, is that nobody wants them. You have to, you have to have a market for tradable players if you're going to trade them. And unfortunately, none of these guys are valuable to other teams. Maybe a, a wide receiver, desperate team, wide receiver, needy team sees Pierre Garcon and they're like, Hey, we can pair him with like Tom great Tom Brady, for example, and, and we can make something out of him. But I don't think that you're really going to see that. What's probably going to happen is that they'll probably end up having to play some of these youngsters. I want to see, I, I want to see them shift towards the youth movement. I want to see what Richie James has. I want to see what Dante Pettis, when he gets back, what he has, I want to see what Ronald Blair can do and, and call up Julian Taylor from the practice squad and, and let DJ Reed play safety. Obviously he's going to have to play safety now that Colbert's out, but let Tarverius Moore play a little bit of corner. I want to see what these guys can do because this is when you can develop the depth for next year. And the best teams I think are teams that have the depth to be able to account for the loss of a starter without a huge drop off in performance. And that's where the New Englands of the league, and obviously last year with Philadelphia losing their starting quarterback and Minnesota losing their starting quarterback, teams like that that aren't necessarily top-heavy that can still compete with a major loss or still be okay with a major loss, I think that's what the 49ers are trying to do, and I think that that's where they want to go. But I think that this is a golden opportunity for them to be able to evaluate some guys in the roster. I don't think that I'm with you. I don't think that there's going to be a big trade. I don't think that they're going to trade for Le'Veon Bell or Janoris Jenkins or anybody like that. I think that what's going to happen is they'll probably ride with who they have unless they get like a crazy deal like they did with Garoppolo last year. I don't think they're going to make a move this year. They're pretty content with the guys that they have. And that's not saying that they don't want to improve the team, but that's saying that really there's nobody out there that's going to make enough of a difference to this team without giving up some serious assets. Now the 49ers are staring possibly another top 10 pick in the face in the draft. Is anybody out there, you have to think to yourself, is anybody out there worth the top 10 pick in any of the rounds? Because obviously the draft is more than round one. So you're picking 10 and then you're picking 42 and then you're picking. So you know what I mean? Like you're, you're at the top of every round. Is any, any player worth that amount to give up? And we saw this week with Amari Cooper going to Dallas for a first round pick, which was ridiculous. I can't believe that happened, Al. Can you believe that? Can you believe Dallas gave up a freaking first round pick for Amari Cooper? People were tweeting me, you know, what's it going to take to get him? And I was like, maybe a third. You know, I would trade a third, or that's all I would give up for Cooper. I didn't think there was any way in hell the Raiders were going to get a first round pick. 
Yeah. I was shocked when I read that. Actually, that was a joke when I read it at first. <laughs> you know, because it was the Cowboys doing it. But, for, oh, man. First round pick for Cooper. I, ugh, I don't understand it. I mean, good for the Raiders. If they're going to get rid of their whole team, at least they're getting, they're getting good draft picks for them, I guess. Yeah, at least they're going full tank mode. Like, they're, they're absolutely going for it. Because sometimes teams... They're playing some st- the, some older veterans, and they don't really know. People don't really know what they're doing. They might as well play some rookies and get rid of the veterans. No, they're they're definitely going for it. They want that number one pick in the draft. Obviously, they want to replace Khalil Mack with like Joey Bosa or another pass rusher. So I think that that's what they're going for. And John Gruden basically flipped the middle finger to the Oakland fans, and the, the franchise flipped the middle finger to the Oakland fans and said that we're out. We're not competing in Oakland anymore. We're we're playing for Vegas, which is. To me, I feel for the Raiders fans, right? Like I'm, I'm from the yeah, base. Tough. And I've said this yeah. many times before. I feel for them. They they deserve better than this. They deserve better than a team that two years ago was twelve and four and should still be contending because their division is not outside of Kansas City is not great and AFC is is pretty wide open aside from a couple of teams. I, I thought that they had a chance and they should have, but they're not. So lo and behold, Mari Cooper goes to Dallas. They get a first round pick back. They have they have. Three, was it three, four first round picks in the next two years or something like that? Something crazy like that with John Gruden's probably going to mess up again. But, you know, like uh, things like that in trademark, you can't, you can't predict. Dallas was bidding against themselves. Nobody wanted to give more than a third. Benjamin Albright, who's a really good follow on Twitter, by the way. So give him a follow. Benjamin Albright tweeted out that Dallas was basically bidding against themselves. Nobody that he contacted that reached out to him had said that they were giving up more than a third. So I don't know. I'll, I guess if you really want a guy, you go get him, right? That Albright guy is a pretty good follow. We should get him on the show. We should. We, we should. should reach out to him. I just, yeah, I, I never thought of that. He'd be a good person. He'd be a good person to have come on. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Dallas. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know, man. Speaking of tanking, though, do you? A lot of people again. Niners need to just go one and fifteen, two and fourteen, and get Bosa. I don't think there's any way that's going to happen mm-hmm. because I think the Niners are going to make a run in the next nine games. I know people are going to be like, "You're crazy." They came to line of the football. I think the Niners might end up with the same record as last year, to be honest with you. Really? I think they're going to win some games. I think they're going to win some games in the second half. I, maybe I am absolutely delusional, but I see them four and six. I think they're going to win the next three games. Mm-hmm. If Look at the teams. Arizona is a, a disaster. A disaster. And I know that, okay, again, <laughs> they beat San Francisco, but that, that game was kind of just a, one of those crazy 99 out of 100 times the Niners probably win that game. Mm-hmm. If the Niners don't go into Arizona pissed off, and beat them. I don't know if they can beat anybody. Raiders are completely tearing it down. Derek Carr might even be there by the time the Niners play play them. Have to win that game. And then the Giants are a mess too. I know the Giants have some talent, but they're they're a complete mess. So they got to win at least two out of the next three. And then you look after the bye again. Like I said, winnable games. I, th- I think they're going to go on a run. So I think I think I, when I say a run, I don't mean like they're going to finish. Nine and seven or eight and eight. I think they'll win four or five games. Which, when you have one game, seven week, one win, seven weeks into the season, is a bit of a run. But that will take them out of top of the draft. They'll end up. I still believe in the top ten, but more like eight, nine range. So that's going to take them out of the Bosa range. But they'll still be the draft is definitely deep for pass rushers, and let's just hope they actually take one or mm-hmm. two. But I, I Bosa for, forget about it. I don't. I don't see them losing that many games, but. Even if so, Zane, looking at the way the season's gone, do, do you want them to do sort of the elegant tank, or, or do you want to see them go out and grow and, and win some games with the guys they have? Well, that's an interesting question because the competitor in me and the fan in me and the former athlete in me wants to win as many games as possible because I hate losing. 
I hate losing at everything. I, I am a very competitive person. So that, that part of me is like, no, you play to win every single game. But then the logical part of me starts to creep in and, and I start to say to myself, well, what are really, what are moral victories? Are those last five games last year helping the 49ers at all this year? They're not. The guy that won those games isn't even on the team right now. He's, he's hurt. He's rehabbing an ACL. And I, I looked at that. And I'm like, well, it, you can't carry over wins from last year. Moral victories are, if you have one handful of moral victories and one handful of poo, like what hand's going to fill out first? You know what I mean? So it's like that sort of situation where I think that if they can win a few games, I think that it gives the team confidence. But at the same time, I think that regardless of whether people want them to tank or not, I, I'm with you that there are wins on the schedule. There are more wins coming on the schedule. There's several teams with only one win this year, Arizona being one of them. The next, obviously, the next three teams being one of them. I think that they'll they'll probably end up with four or five wins myself as well. I think that this team, we knew that the second half of the schedule was going to be softer for this team. We knew that going in. We thought that, okay, well, if they can make it through the first half, three and four or four and three, they'll be okay. And they'll go on a second half run and, and make a run for the playoffs. But I really think, Al, this is the danger in wanting to play for a draft. And I don't know if they did that last season with the pass rushers, but that's the danger because you could win a bunch of games and you could end up not being in a position that you wanted to be in, in the draft to be able to find your guy. So I think that they're not going to tank per se. They will lose a few more games. I think that they'll probably get swept by Seattle. I think that the bears will probably beat them as well. But I think that aside from those games, I think that every game is winnable for them and the 49ers have a chance to salvage the season and make us make it, so that they're six and 10. And honestly speaking out, you don't really want to be in the first part of the draft anyways, unless there's a guy that you really, really want. If there's somebody ahead of you, you want to be back a little bit because not only does that give you a little bit more room to maneuver, but there are sometimes guys that fall because of necessity, or maybe there's a run on quarterbacks or there's a run on certain positions where guys will fall. Like Patrick Willis was not a top five pick. He fell to the Niners, fell to the mm-hmm. Niners. And, and like he fell, was out of the top 10, I believe, right? He's number 11, I think. I think um, so. around there, around there. Yeah. Michael Crabtree fell to the 49ers at number nine. Vernon Davis was the number six overall pick. Joe Staley was at the end of the first round. So you don't have to be a top five pick to perform, but when you do draft, you have to make most of those picks. And obviously we're getting ahead of ourselves. We have a whole draft show that we'll do next year, but at the same time, when the draft is deep, like why does it matter if you should tank or not? Just play the games, go out there, see what works see what you can carry on to the next season, see what players you want to keep in the next season. And if that leads you to few wins, then so be it. Because in the long run, you find out what scheme works for your team. You find out what players work and you find out what dead weight you need to cut out. What'd you think of what Jerry Rice said about the Niners needing veteran leadership? So I heard this on the radio on the way to, to work on Monday. And I thought that what he said was pretty telling because to me, it shows that the veteran guys that we talked about, like that should be stepping up like the Armsteads and the Garcons and guys like that. Maybe they're not, maybe they're not pulling their weight as far as being a good locker room guy or, or maybe they're not pulling their weight as far as being a mentor or things like that. Maybe it's just, they're just lacking in that because these guys are just checked out or they just don't have the, the ability to command as, as much respect anymore because their playing abilities dropped. I mean, again, this is all speculation, but 
it's pretty telling because if they did have some veteran leadership, you wouldn't see them making these dumb mistakes. And we know that that Richard Sherman was brought in for that specific purpose. And he's been a great mentor to a lot of the guys. And he's been a great player for the team. Like he's only allowed two catches. They've only thrown it at him. They, they throw opposing quarterbacks have thrown it at Richard Sherman less than 20 times. He's not being targeted. He's not allowing any catches pound for pound. Statistically, he's been the best cornerback in the, in the NFL this year in, in the limited time that he's played. He's missed three games, but that being said, like you need more of those guys. The, the best part of the, the gym, I keep going back to the Jim Harbaugh teams, but the best part of those teams was you had veteran leadership. You had a Frank Gore and a Patrick Willis and a Justin Smith, Jonathan Goodwin. You had those guys that commanded respect, Dante Whitner. You had guys on the team that were able to command that respect and, and have the younger guys understand that, hey, I have to do my job because I'm letting these guys down. And I don't think they have that on, on, on the team this year. And what, what the GOAT was saying was basically that they're in need of that. And I think that next year, again, the free agency sort of run will be a little bit different. They'll, be, they'll probably go after more players and they'll bring more of those guys in. But that's just what happens when you have a young team. The 49ers are one of the youngest teams in the league. And, and unfortunately, that's going to happen. So I'm in total agreement with Jerry Rice on that. Before we look forward to the game this upcoming week, we got to give out game balls. And the only person I could even think to give a game ball to uh, would be George Kittle, who is just really coming into his own as right now the face of this offense, which kind of sounds crazy that your fifth round, second year tight end is, is the face of your offense, but he has been. He has 522 yards receiving. And like I said earlier, he's on pace for 1,205 yards, which would be the most since T.O. T.O. had 1,300 in 2002, and that's the most. And Kittle's averaging 10.7. 10.75 yards per target. And if you look at the other top tight ends, Zach Ertz has 618 yards this season, but he's at 7.92 yards per target. Kelsey, 563, but he's at 9.38 yards per target. Gronk's at 405, and he's a little higher than Kittle, 11.57 yards per target. But it just shows you how good and how dominating Kittle's been, that he's just getting big chunks of yards when they when they target him and, and he, for what he's on pace for. I mean... Not only is he going to on pace to be the only 49ers tight end with a thought to hit a thousand yards ever, but he's going to get 1,200. It's more receiving yards than Bolden or Crabtree had with the Niners and anybody, like I said, since T.O. So it's, it's amazing what he's done. And, and he was the one bright spot on that field. And he plays hard. He plays angry. The Niners have a keeper in, I think, an all pro tight end in him, and which is a really encouraging building block for them to have. George Kittle, the emergence of George Kittle and Matt Breed, I tweeted this out. The emergence of those two guys has been a really pleasant surprise for me this year. I did not expect, especially Matt Breed, but I did not expect George Kittle to emerge in this way. We talked about him as a, night, a matchup nightmare, but he did have some work to do on his hands and route running, and he did have some work to do in terms of play recognition and things like that. But he's been just a mauler as a blocker, which he was known for at Iowa. And amazing as a pass catcher, he can get open against anybody. Like he's, he's being, he's becoming one of those reliable targets that you can kind of throw the ball to any time and expect that he's going to make a play on it, which is, which is a lot to say for a guy that was not drafted to be a pass catching tight end. His biggest asset was his blocking. So I, I totally get it. I would have given it to Kittle, but I think that I'm going to diversify a little bit. And uh, it's like last year when you were giving the game balls on defense to DeForest Buckner every game. <laughs> right, yeah. We had, we had to diversify a little bit. So Raheem Mostert is going to get my game ball. And he was really good in, in the limited 
action that he had. Alfred Morris got the bulk of the carries. He got nine carries, but Mostert had seven carries in this past game. And he had 59 yards, so averaged 8.4 yards a carry and caught four more balls for 19 yards. And he's kind of turning into a nice piece that the 49ers have on offense. He's known for special teams ability and being a gunner and being able to fly down the field, but he's also becoming kind of a trusted agent for Kyle Shanahan to be able to give the ball to in, in crucial situations. And he runs hard, runs fast. He hits the hole hard. I think that for what they expected him, we were talking about Raheem Mostert being the fourth running back going into the season before McKinnon got hurt. And now he's a guy who's sharing carries as arguably the, the starting running back. And if Breida's out for an extended period of time with the ankle, you're probably going to see Mostert start. And you're probably going to see him obviously share carries with, with uh, Alfred Morris. But he's been another one of those guys that's kind of emerged. And I think that has solidified his spot for the next year, not only because he's a special teams ace, but because he has been really good in his, his role as a running back. So Raheem Mostert gets my game ball. All right, I want to pick the Niners to win this week against the Cardinals, Ian, but you have to give me some reason. to what did, what did you see in this last game, anything, that would give me hope to feel good about my, my decision to pick the Niners to win this week? You see I'm so anything good in this game? It. I'm so excited to talk about this. I really am. This is, I've been waiting all show for you to ask me about this, Al, because for weeks, I have been on Kyle Shanahan for weeks about his end-of-half, end-of-game play calling. And I put out several tweets ranted several times about how he messed it up and how he should have run out the clock last week did the same thing against green Bay where he should have run out the clock on Monday night and kicked a field goal at the end to try to win it or go to over. But man, the drive at the end of the half was so well executed. I was so happy about that. I didn't even care that they were getting blown out. Honestly, because that's such a big thing. When you become, when you become a contending team, these little things turn into big things that can turn the tide of a game and win you ball games and lose you ball games. And he figured it out and he showed to me that he is willing to correct his mistakes. And it's not so much the, the fact that they scored on that drive. It's the fact that Kyle put his ego aside, put the, put the fact that he is one of the best play callers in the league aside and, and made it a mistake by playing that drive differently. And he ran the clock out scored a touchdown with 10 seconds left, used his timeouts, played it perfectly, did not give the ball back to the Rams with enough time to do anything. And I'm like, man, to me, that was the drive of the game. That was the best end of half slash end of game that the 49ers have had this season because Kyle Shanahan played it the way that you were absolutely supposed to play it. And I'm so happy he did that. And I think that he's turning, he's starting to realize that he needs to change some of the things that he does. And this Arizona game, Al, pick them to win. Because Kyle Shanahan, he's learned from last time. He's learning that he needs to take the ball out of CJ's hands. Did you notice in this game that Mostert was getting the ball more in the second half because mm-hmm. they didn't want CJ to throw it? Did you notice that they took the ball yes. out of his hands for a little bit? I mean, for me, like I, I, I'm, I'm noticing a change in Kyle Shanahan. I'm noticing that he's actually adapting to what's going on out there. Something that we really haven't seen since Jimmy came in last year and he had to change the playbook. So to me, like that's... That is reason in enough to say that the 49ers will win this week because he's learning from his mistakes. Niners lost to the Cardinals 28-18 when they played them, what was it, week five? I think they're going to beat them this week, 27-17. to And you, you mentioned Moster. I hope that Matt Breida sits out just because I want Matt Breida to get healthy. Mm-hmm. Matt Breida is obviously favoring different injuries, and I'm just afraid he's going to blow his knee out or hurt himself badly. 
and maybe put his career in jeopardy because he's he's trying to favor an ankle and he steps wrong. So I I hope that the Niners let Breida rest. But I think even if Breida does play Mostert, it's going to get a lot of touches in this game. And I like Mostert actually to have a nice game here and to score what I believe would be his first NFL touchdown. I don't think he has a touchdown yet in his career. I like him to get in the end zone this game. I like him to have maybe 80, 90 all-purpose yards in this game, be a big part of the offense. I also like good CJ to show up and have a couple of touchdown passes. He'll probably throw a pick because he's CJ. He'll probably mm-hmm. mix one in there. But Niners are going to move the ball. I think the defense has a bit of a bounce back week, and they play good enough to win, and the Niners are going to take this one. I think so, too. I think so. First of all, Arizona fired their offensive coordinator, Mike McCoy, which is kind of funny, kind of a funny situation because he was obviously coaching the Broncos last year, as we know, and he was very boastful about getting out of there and and saying how he's going to beat them again the next time he sees them and all of these Twitter or bulletin board material things. And he ends up taking a beating while well, the team ends up taking a beating at home against Denver. And it ends up being Denver that the Denver game that gets him fired. So I think that that will have an, a ripple effect on their team. Anytime you fire offensive coordinator in the middle of the season, it's not a good thing. And Byron left, is their new offensive coordinator. He's never been, uh, he's obviously been a quarterback in the NFL with the Jaguars a few years ago and was a former first round pick. But he's never been an offensive coordinator and a primary play caller. So I think that this is an opportunity for the for the 49ers to jump on a team that's in transition, jump on a team that's kind of reeling from a coaching change and really take it to them. If if good CJ so, shows up, this will not even be a game. If good CJ shows up, the 49ers win this game by 20 points. If bad CJ shows up, I think they still win the game, but they don't win by as many. So this is one of the one of the games. I'm gonna make it a lock, Al. My first lock of the year, maybe my only lock of the year. I'm going to say that the Niners are a lock to win this game. I'm going to say that they win 24 to 17. I think the Cardinals get a garbage touchdown late, but the Niners win 24 17. Well, I'll tell you what, if they don't win and they lose this game, the listeners should show up to the show next week because I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> straight nervous breakdown on the air if 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 they lose to the cardinals who are who are just pathetic <laughs> twice yeah. mm-hmm. this season i'm gonna have a nervous breakdown so that'll be fun for everybody so you got anything else buddy anything else you want to talk about well i just want to i want to say keep the faith to the fans keep the faith it's hard we knew it was going to be hard when jimmy went down but the losses are piling up al you put out a stat out there um about bill walsh in his first couple of years and how he only won eight games the Niners have one win without Jimmy Garoppolo under Kyle Shanahan. They're one in 15. So it's time for them to, to start evening that record out. They're too good of a team to, to, to be doing this. They're not bottom of the league. Like they were with Trent Balky. They're, they're better than that. And I think that you'll see a, a slight turnaround. And to, by the way, anybody who wants to take Al stats out there, I'm going to stick up for you, Al. Anybody who wants to take Al stats <laughs> out there and tweet them or put them on Instagram or whatever you want to do, can you please cite, just cite them and just say, Hey, per Al Sacco or per, per Al Sacco 49, whatever it is, just at least cite them. Don't be a jerk and take somebody else's stats and claim them as your own and, and show a bunch of followers that you have that, Oh, I made this, I did this research when you really didn't do it. Don't do that. Don't be that guy. I've seen my exact tweets. Someone else tweets like word for word. I think they just copy and paste them mm-hmm. like word for word, whatever, man. It's, it's, Imitation is the best form of flattery, right? So, <laughs> I, yeah, I guess you, I guess you could say that. Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? So, well, I did see one of those sites. At least this time, they used my uh, <laughs> they used a picture of my my Twitter feed. So, my picture of my name was on there at least. So, 
Does that count? I, I, I guess, I, I guess, man, I don't know. It's I'm right. <laughs> at least you could see that I'm the one that did it, I guess this time around. So whatever, it's all good. You know what I do want to talk about before we go and people can just turn this off at this point if they want to, do you do, do you do any Netflix shows? You binge watching anything right now? Um, so I do. So I did fuller house cause of the nostalgia factor, obviously. Um, oh, I did. That's oh. really, I can't believe I made it on air, but, um, fuller house, um, this is where I get cool. The Ozark was really good. That was good. Yeah. That's a pretty good show, man. It's dark. It's good though. Yeah. Ozark was really good. Stranger things was man. Stranger things was awesome. Again, nostalgia factor, 80, 80s kids, like those shows. I mean, I, I will watch those, um, you know, over and over again. What about you? All right. So I just watched um, Haunting on Hill House. It just came on Netflix. And I'm not oh. usually into like the, the horror thing that much. Mm-hmm. Dude, this was one of the best shows I have ever seen. Like for me, like I'm putting it up there with like Sopranos, Breaking Bad, really? Game of Thrones. I, like I, I loved it. And it's, it's, it's definitely scary, but it's like deep it's it's kind of about like death and trauma and it's so deep in the way they tie everything in and like the twists and there's like ghosts in the background like hidden ghosts like as people are talking and it goes from it's about like this family who grew up in the house and there's five siblings and it goes from the present to the past when they were in the house and the present and like each episode is is, is from like the siblings point of view dude it was amazing even if you don't like that stuff check it out it was absolutely amazing I'm doing Daredevil season three right now, which is good. I like it. It's, it's pretty good so far. I saw a lot of people really liked it. It's started out a little slow, but starting to pick up. So, but haunting on Hill House, amazing, amazing. I'm gonna check that out. Halloween's coming it, up too, so definitely check, it out. check that out. And I want people to tweet me about it if they like it too. Like I mentioned, see, I know a lot of people are um, have really liked it and have been all about it. And I and I did put something out about it, um, and a lot of people responded to it. So the people are watching it. It's awesome. Other thing I want to get to non-football is you know i'm a lakers fan and i know you hate <laughs> lebron so you must have been loving the missed free throws and everything else last or the other night oh man the the memes and the comments coming out of everybody they're like oh kobe wouldn't miss those free throws mj wouldn't miss those free throws lebron can't be kobe so he's got to be Shaq at the free throw line it's just oh my gosh it's so funny and <laughs> Oh, did you see that he called for timeout before the before that game tying three? Yeah, and the referees yeah. missed it. It was. I think that the funniest thing to me is that everybody killed J.R. Smith last year for not calling a timeout in Game One of the NBA Finals, and LeBron, who's supposedly the smartest basketball player ever, calls for a timeout when they don't have any. That game should have been over. It should have been a technical foul on the Lakers. The you know the other team gets the, the, the other team gets the ball. Was it the Spurs? The Spurs get the ball. They get a techno free throw. They go up four points. They can run the clock out, shoot free throws, and game's over. But LeBron being the golden boy of the league, they don't make that call, and he hits the shot, and they go to overtime, and the Spurs rightfully win. Obviously, like that's the blatant thing to me. But the, the other thing is, is that they're, they're 0-3. I think this is the worst start for LeBron since like 2005 or something like that. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, the, the Western Conference is different, isn't it, LeBron? It's a little bit harder out, out here. Isn't uh, it? <laughs> a little bit more. It is a Lakers. Is a Lakers fan. I don't even. I'm not even that up in arms because listen, I'm entertained by LeBron being the Lakers. It's entertaining as hell, right? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna like watching him with the young players and stuff. But in terms of them like winning a championship and me getting up up in arms, nobody's beating the Warriors as long as Durant's still on that team. But mm-hmm. the Lakers are. Lakers had Magic and Kareem and Kobe, and I know they got Shaq in free agency, but but I feel like he was a Laker. 
you know, he came as a young player from that. So they've had, they have all these banners and all this history and, and Jerry West, LeBron, buying LeBron at the end of his career. I'm kind of like, great. It's entertaining, but I look at the banners. All, I, I'm not that up in arms about it. Like it's going to be entertaining, but it's almost like, I don't know. Yeah. It, it doesn't, it, you, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. It, yeah. It's like, LeBron- it's like, okay, if you won with Montana and young, and then you go out and sign Brett Favre for the last two or three years of his career. Is it, does it feel the same? It doesn't no. feel the same, right? It's no, kind of it where I am with that. So it'll be entertaining, but whatever. whatever. Yeah. I, <laughs> the funny thing is, is that LeBron, when he, when he talks about what he wants to do with the Lakers, he's like, Oh, I want to win one more MVP and one more championship. He realizes that now he's he can't touch Jordan. He's not Jordan's legacy is safe. He's not going to be better than that. He's like, I just want one more and cement my own legacy. Going to LA was more of a business decision for him. Yeah, than it was like a yeah. competitive decision because he could have stayed in Cleveland and he pretty much had the same team. Like, I mean, like he had a, a, a cast of misfits in Cleveland too. Exactly what he has in, in LA. But for him, it was like, he, he wants to focus on life post basketball and he's a brilliant businessman. Like I give yeah. him credit for that. He is brilliant off the court as a philanthropist, as a businessman, like, he is the model sort of athlete. He is this new generation sort of superstar athlete that's also very successful off the court as they are on the court, as as Kobe was, right? Um, I think that LeBron is the next kind of big guy off the court that played and had a great career and then translated that into a successful business career. So that move was predicated off of that. It wasn't like, oh, I'm trying to win more championships or stack rings. Let's be honest. Like you said, nobody's beating the Warriors. And even if Kevin Durant leaves next year, the Warriors probably will do something crazy, like get Anthony Davis or something like that. And then, you know, then the balance of power shifts back to them. Right. So it's just, it's just crazy. I wish the, the NFL was as it was as easy to build a team in the NFL as it is in the NBA. Cause you only need like two superstars in the NBA and you have a team, but lo and behold, you know, uh, the, the Warriors are the cream of the crop. And to that point, Al, I know we're going a little long here, but this, this does relate back to the 49ers. So, in the Bay Area, you have what is amounting to a dynasty in basketball, the Warriors. And everybody expects them to, to win and three-peat, and they become a historic team if they weren't already a historic team. If you're the 49ers, if you're Jed York, if you're Parag Marate and John Lynch and Adam Peters, you really have to look at yourselves in the mirror and say, what do we have to do to get our fans back? What do we have to do to fill the stadium up again? What do we have to do to take fans away from watching the Warriors, which is the best franchise in all of sports right now, and bring them back home to the 49ers. Are you going to say sign LeBron? Yeah, sign LeBron. Yeah, of course. That, that'll work. That seems to work for, for any team, right? But I think that the Dwight Clark statue, first of all, we didn't touch on that. The Dwight Clark statue was unveiled before the, the Rams game, which is fantastic. And I think that it's a wonderful tribute that was the most iconic play in 49ers history and maybe in NFL history. It's an awesome tribute. I encourage everybody to go down to Levi's. You don't have to buy a ticket to get in the stadium and see it. You can just walk the concourse downstairs and you can see it. It's outdoors. Take a picture with it, tweet it out. Um, enjoy it. That's something that the 49ers fans have earned. They made a big effort to put the Super Bowl names on the stadium and, and put more pictures and things on the stadium in an effort to attract fans. But Al, honestly, you know what will attract fans winning. Spend that money on on the roster. Spend that money improving the product on the field. I get what they're trying to do. They, they listen to the fans, but what's going to keep fans, get them back and keep them, is winning. Warriors games, like I live here, Alec. I know Warriors games are impossibly expensive, and they're going to get more expensive when they move to San Francisco next year. 
So they keep their fans by winning. The fans don't care. Joe Lacob, the Warriors owner, he's in luxury tax every year. He doesn't care because he realizes that he's actually making more money by producing a winning franchise. And I, and I really hope the 49ers kind of copy that and understand that that's how you can rebuild this team into a winner. Yeah, the Warriors should enjoy it until Durant signs with the Lakers next year. <laughs> yeah, LeBron, Durant. I think that Durant, I don't know. I think he wants to beat LeBron. I don't know if he wants to <laughs> yeah, play with LeBron. Yeah, I don't think he's going to sign with there. Anyways, man, we're babbling. But we're yeah, we are on. babbling. All right, we're going to go. Till next week. Thanks, everybody. All right, bye.